And welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on? Steven, I am super duper excited to be here and give the people what they want because, man, this is going to be a fun one today. (laughs) It is. It is. What are we talking about? Instant offense, things you can do today to be better hacks tomorrow. on hacks on and- hacks on hacks we is the hacks podcast just nothing but hacks baby coming from us <laughs> you, you know we love and hacks. check out our latest sponsor the best vitamin supplement on the market it will get you right <laughs> it will turn your head going from backwards to forwards it'll keep you up at night it will get you to sleep during the day it's no i'm kidding <laughs> we have not gone down that path friends you haven't you haven't seen John and I sell out and get desperate for money and all that stuff. But you know, you know what? I was thinking though, you know what? If you're a coach listening, do you know one of the things that you can actually do today to be better tomorrow? What would that be, Stephen? Sign up for the running scholar program. Oh my gosh. Yes. Even if it's just for the it, clubhouse. It's literally an investment in your future in coaching. Why? Because we will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it, John. I'm gonna give the hundred percent guarantee. <laughs> okay, yeah. you're, you're doing gonna, it, not me, man. <laughs> you're gonna be a better coach. Like you cannot. Like whether it's the courses, whether it's a clubhouse and interacting with other coaches, whether it's attending our monthly Zoom calls where we just nerd out on topics for ninety minutes, you are going to learn something. That makes you a better coach tomorrow. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Actually, the May 2023 Zoom call or what we call Train Talk Live is uh, titled Share Your Success. New stuff, same stuff, better stuff you're doing in 2023 that's improving your coaching and or training. So that's basically you just get the brain trust of everyone being like, hey, here's the stuff I'm doing that's working. So all of a sudden, it's just a big workshop. For everyone to be like, this is the stuff that works. So you don't have to go reinvent the wheel. Exactly. This is the stuff that works. So get on board with doing that. Sign up for the Running Scholar program. You get all that good stuff. You get courses. You get. You just kind of get better. Yeah, because I'm doing new stuff. Don't you want to be better? All the time, right? But it, I know other people are doing new stuff and be- probably better stuff. So we don't know it all. This is why we leverage the brain trust of over 500 plus scholars to help us out and you know it's a rising tide lifts all boat phenomena exactly so get on board all right let's let's talk about instant hacks offense. give Thanks me the hack steve what can i do today Thanks to be better tomorrow so you know the origin <laughs> of this john is you're our you're our creator of titles and episodes and you know when you brought this up it's essentially you know, what do you do when you kind of get stuck or what do you do when you're trying in those days leading up to competition to kind of like boost your performance or get through? And where my mind instantly went is the story of Roger Bannister and not so much the story of like, oh, he broke through and blah, 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 mental stuff, blah, blah, blah. But the actual story where he was kind of stuck for a little bit and running 401, 402, and 403. And and what happened is, you know, the day before, or in the weeks leading up to his breakthrough, or I should say, let's step back. The training that he did from Fran Stample was essentially, 
you know, we're simplifying, but it was, let's run these 10 400s and we're going to get progressively faster and faster and faster and faster. And eventually Bannister got to where he was running his 10 400s and 60 or better. And Stample was like, yo, dude, you can run sub four like the training tells us to. But he still wasn't. So what did Bannister do a couple weeks before he actually broke four? He goes into the mountains with his friends, doesn't run, but just goes on some long hikes keeping physically active, but resting from the 400-meter repeat training. What happens? He comes back. He has his breakthrough. And I think so often when we kind of hit this this point where we get stuck and we're like, oh, how do I get to the next level? How do I get through here? The training indicates I should do X, Y, and Z. One of the best things you can do today to prepare you and enhance your training or enhance your racing tomorrow is to step back and rest and recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really <laughs> the irony I was telling Steve, it's really a a, a recovery podcast in disguise. Because that's essentially the thing that has the biggest return on investment, the biggest bang for your buck is some type of de-escalation retreat. Uh, rejuvenation activity and you know there's a host of things right like some people it's massage or can it be sauna or a good night's sleep or you know just being with friends and having a good time face to face right um reading a book uh going for a hike outside um you know good hydration of cooking a big meal you know we know those things all work really well we know things that don't work well right like over activation or stimulation of the nervous system i.e looking at a screen for whatever reason right uh, i was having this conversation with one of my high school kids uh recently and you know he's brand new to track good kids you know it's kind of that senior year hey i'm doing something before i leave um and he's having a lot of fun a lot of fun um you know and he's running great. He's kind of a four eight guy, but he's like Jonathan. Oh, I'm just so tired today. And I go, Oh, why is that? And he's like, this is On Monday at practice, he goes, I don't know. I mean, well, I don't ever give my athletes any activity to do on the weekend, so it's all their, you know, their prerogative. And he goes, I don't know why. I go, Well, tell me about, you know, uh, what time you get to bed. He goes, Oh, you know, one a.m. I go, Oh, why was that? Were you doing a homework? He goes, No, I was just on the computer looking around and doing all this stuff. And I go, Oh, okay. Was that just last night he goes no that was the whole weekend i go oh <laughs> you know and then it, i started to have that conversation of like hey look you know like that's uh, and like you know that stuff's not really the best stuff for you and then i was like well how you know how do you feel like do you feel really connected to everyone because you kind of act in a little uh you know abrasive at practice and he goes no when i go on the computer i just you know i get isolated and i start to like the wheels start to turn i don't like it and i, I can't fall asleep i go Okay, problem solved, my friend. Stop going on the computer on the weekend. Go hang out with people, real people face-to-face. Don't look at a screen. You can use the screen to coordinate real time with people, but go be with real people. <laughs> you know, and it's it was just an, a very, uh, you know, nice reminder about how that stuff can rapidly spiral for some, you know, people. Um, and then also too, just the ramifications it can have on our health and well-being and perception and outlook. And then, you know, sure enough, 
he got himself on track. We had a, a little dual meet in here and a nice little PR in the 400. Um, you know, we had him do the 4-8 double kind of for training, you know, and experience what a heavily fatigued eight was going to feel like. But yeah, he had a really good 400. I was really excited about it. Felt really fresh, felt really positive, And, you know, then just gave it his best shot in the eight, experienced some, you know, new fatigue that he might not have, but it was more of a training activity and ended up being a really positive experience. But it was not about running workouts that week going into that race. It was not about that. It was the constant reminder was like, hey, go to sleep. Stop looking at screens at this time. (laughs) It's amazing the simple things that actually work. And there's actually some interesting data on this. Uh, Some researchers have looked at specifically scrolling through social media on screens before competitions or before practice and variety of sports, volleyball, you know, basketball, strength training. And almost every study that I've looked at shows a detriment to performance. So it's the opposite of like priming us to perform. You know, and if we do that, as you said, too long, what happens is it not only impairs our performance, but our sleep or recovery. Why? Because we we kind of the way I kind of look at it is if you're walking around in that kind of fight or flight mode where you're kind of anxious, all your uh, that's simply your your nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system is just on like low level chronic activation because it's afraid something's going to happen. Why is it afraid something's going to happen? Because like you've primed it to be because you're scrolling through social media, which like tells you the world's ending or fear is occurring or outrage to be outraged in something. You're scrolling and non interacting with people, which again, what we know that primes us to think like, oh, we're kind of lonely. Um, where we almost feel kind of numb when we consume too much social media because of that. So to me, when we talk about what allows us to get get better, it's not just things like recovery or connection or whatever have you. It's, it's priming us to perform in a positive light. And, and so many of the things that we do sometimes unintentional, unintentionally prime us to be, kind of down and miserable and it's you know it's always like we have this you know um kind of convenience mindset right where we want instantaneous or instant gratification right so instant offense and everyone's like i want it now i know what i want and i want it now or i want tomorrow and the hard part about training right is it's like when you come look at today you know my training versus uh you know 15, 20 years ago, my training at a high school level, uh, my first go around when I was a young coach is now the training is very uh, redundant, right? It's very much of the Bonderchuk stable um, periodization scheme where it's like, we're doing, we're getting technical mastery and doing the same thing over and over and over again. And the reason for that is because I know exactly what we're trying to achieve. And we're trying to exactly use these vehicles to create stabilization, not only in the organism, but also stabilization in the pattern of training. So when I say, okay, guys, it's 200 meter drill day, or today, like right now we're doing hybrids, right? So it's like, all right, we're going to do a 400 meter, 200 meter drill hybrid, which can mean a whole bunch of things, right? So these different quote unquote drills I have, um, which that terminology is borrowed from the Bowerman era, um, essentially allow me to slice and dice and construct them. But everyone knows in the program 
the language we're using. So it's like, it's going to be some combination of these three staple workouts, you know, and then our two like variable speed workouts and they know what to expect. It's not like all of a sudden, all right, mile repeats today. And then you see the eyes really get big and just like overwhelmed and like, oh, this is going to be so hard. And then the, the dialogue is it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard. So it's like, no, the dialogue is like, Hey guys, you've survived all these drills before for two months. We know what we're doing. This is actually going to be easier because we're not just doing, you know, slicing and dicing and hybrids of it um, here in the latter stages of a, a season. And we forget that that type of stability offers a lot of a, a nice big platform for people to expand. Cause I always look at it like this, right? Is what you're doing, helping someone to shrink away from a challenge or expand into a challenge. And when we think about it in those terms, oftentimes, you know, people are like, we gotta be variable with practice. And it's like, well, we do to a certain degree, but also we have to have deliberate practice where we're getting better at a specific thing and we're measuring that improvement. So like say wickets, right, are a good example of that. Quick side tangent here. If you are in the Running Scholar program or thinking about joining, we are going off on the wickets channel. We got a lot of new scholars who are in there doing wickets for the first time and like getting the technical positions instantaneously. It's amazing to see. And we're talking about the science behind it. So you know why we're doing it in the way we're doing it. Because it's not how sprint coaches like Vince Anderson, um, uh, kind of promote it, which is for acceleration development, which is a much different and useful tool if that's what you seek. We are using it actually for uh, reactive running, getting glute activation, getting that free side of the pelvis up in swing, all this good stuff. But long story short is, you know, we're, I'm kind of codifying it where it's like, all right, it's going to take about roughly two to 3,000 wickets, it's looking like, especially with the high school kids, to see some um, appreciable change in, t uh, technique in races and running without it. I myself have done about 20,000 wickets in the last year and a half. And that's kind of like what I would consider like the top end to get lots of stabilization, but the variability is not in the spacing, not just in the spacing that we use with it, but also in the surface. So there's a lot of very, very good research that shows surface variability is perturbations, which creates contextually rich new um, attempts at some type of activity because it forces the body to become more stable in this unpredictable perturbation environment. And so that can be on grass, it can be on runnable, you know, sawdust chip path. Like you can literally put the wickets down anywhere. And once you understand the basic um, technical um, impetus behind it, move off the track or off the cement or off the tarmac, to that softer surface. And if that, that variability, that softer surface actually, because it, you know, superficially, it looks like you're doing the same exact thing from a, um, you know, in depth and internal point of view, every step is actually very different. It's kind of that old, if you know, Nikolai Bernstein, it's, uh, that every strike of the hammer is a, in a completely different strike of the hammer when you're hammering away. And it's hard for people to grasp that sometimes, but it works and it's working so well. Like we had this one kid who is nicknamed freshman year was grandpa because he was really discoordinated, <laughs> not really stable. Like he just didn't move that soundly and all the kids knew it. And it was kind of like this teasing name, but he was okay with it. You know, it was this determined endearment, but you know, now a sophomore year, grandpa's at the last track meet. They're like, oh yeah, grandpa's dead. 
Grandpa's no longer alive. Like, you know, Grandpa died a long time ago. His nickname now is Magenta Speed because <laughs> he has purple spikes, right? But like, how big of a compliment is that from a kid who was like named Grandpa because he was so discoordinated to a year later after, you know, this kid's done like now 5,000 wickets the last two years in a row. It's like, now his name's Magenta Speed, right? <laughs> I mean, and like when this kid kicks, he kicks. He hasn't lost a kick yet this season. You know, it, I mean, it's amazing. Like for the race he's in, it's so fun to see. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. And like that is, you know, I'll, as, as we are famous for a tangent on understanding, like some things are just, you know, that long path for payoff like this, the wickets, technical mastery, all this, but other things like simple conversations about things that athletes or young people or old people can do today to make them tomorrow are what I call like um, weeding the garden, so to speak. Sometimes it's just very simple stuff that we all know, but we all forget. And the coach, we have to come and remind people like, hey, yeah, hydration, super important especially when it's hot all of a sudden. Hey, yeah, sleep, super important. Quality sleep. Hey, yeah, abstinence from like alcohol because that really disrupts sleep patterns. Like just simple things, right, that we tend to take for granted. We just have to constantly remind athletes of, especially in those critical moments uh, of a season or, you know, of their buildup towards their, um, you know, pinnacle event of for that uh, period in the calendar. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's reminding them of those important critical things. And I think what often happens is as we get towards a big race or a championship season, the small things kind of distract us and seem big and we neglect the main things. And, you know, bringing it back to, you know, something we mentioned at the beginning on this rest and recovery, one of the best ways to conceptualize this is Coaches, go Google the fitness fatigue model and just look at look at an image. Just all you have to do is look at an image. And all we're trying to do, essentially, when we get into peaking races is we've built the fitness. We're just trying to maintain that and take away the fatigue so that we can express our fitness in terms of a performance. So when we look at, okay, priming people, preparing people to perform, it's giving the th- giving them the things that allow them to kind of take away some of that fatigue, express it physically. And then in addition to that, we're then, pr- we're just priming them like psychologically, emotionally, mentally, like f- attentionally, focus wise on how to feel good and ready to go. <laughs> And, and this is where, you know, you might hear ideas of, especially in the strength training world of like potentiation and things like that. And all that is doing is essentially priming your body and nervous system to feel good. And I'm going to give ourselves a plug in the Igloy course, which we just released is he talks about using, you know, well, Igloy's training you know, most days they'd go morning and afternoon or morning and evening of interval training, but morning and evening. And in one of his articles, he talks about why he does that. And one of the reasons is he he says, essentially, the morning session is about 30 to 40% in terms of like the volume intensity of the day. And he says, 
is to make them feel better for the afternoon session when we really want to hit it, you know? And it's just priming you for the important thing later that day. Yes, you'll get some fitness off of it and training, but it's not the main thing. He realized that. And I think we have to realize that in coaching as not only for training, but also for racing. What are you doing? I mean, this is the whole point. People say, oh, we do strides before. Do you know why strides generally make us feel better the day before a race or the day before workout? Because it primes us. It gets us out of like, it's just enough to to make us realize, oh, it feels kind of good to feel fast. You know, when I was training with Alan Webb, what would we do? We do, you know, the, the 200, 150, 120 drill, which is essentially you repeat that a couple of times. And the next day you'd feel pretty good or the next day you'd feel like primed and ready to go. And what were you doing? Were you cranking those 200s, 150s, no 120s? No, you were kind of start off easy, build into it, build into it, build into it. And like the 120, sometimes like the last 100 was like 13 seconds, 12 point something for Alan sometimes. Why? Because it was like build, build, build. Oh, I feel pretty good. And then the next day you're like, you got that in your legs. It wasn't fatiguing, but you're like potentiated, mm-hmm. primed, and you're feeling good, ready to go. Love it. Yeah. It's, you know, we, that potentiation thing, I think we're so conditioned, right? As, um, you know, athletes and coaches in general, and especially distance coaches and distance athletes in general to think work, 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 right? If it's not if, I, if it's not a mile, it doesn't count, right? Because I can't add it up to my weekly total and get the t-shirt club or whatever. But sometimes little interventions like that, you know, whether it's slamming a med ball, whether it is going over wickets, whether it's, you know, some str- faster strides or some speed, you know, does wonders. Like I'm currently right now, like experimenting with um, speed, ba- um, speed bag um, with boxing, you know, that bag and the reason is it for it is looking into the um, uh, interesting connection that was made by a uh, sprint coach from Ireland origins and eventually uh, relocated to Australia in the 1980s where he had people do speed bag training and then that's all they would do in the off season. And then they would be like some of the best sprinters in the world, like white people, right? From Ireland, you know, Australia. You're like, huh? How? <laughs> and you know what I was telling? And my kettlebell coach, he was a uh, semi-pro boxer before he became a, you know, uh, kettlebell certified trainer coach. So he he guided me. He's like, I do this, do this, do this at home. I send him videos. He gives me a little critique. But it's not about punching the bag or trying to box or whatever. It's about seeing what the connection is in it. You know, it dawned on me this last session we had with him uh, that I had uh, with my kettlebell coach, our training session together, like we were doing kettlebell swings, you know, like 10 on the minute for, you know, 20 minutes. So like 200 swings. And when you do a kettlebell swing at the first, the first time when you start doing it, it, the bell moves real fast. Like you're like, it's like when you first go on the freeway, when you're learning to drive, right? All of a sudden it's like 50 miles an hour feels like the speed of light, right? When you're first learning how to drive, because now you're in the driver's seat. But now, like this last one, the bell started moving real slow. Like I was like, this thing's taking forever to swing, forever. And it it dawned on me, it's rate coding. It's just like, oh, when you start punching that, um, you know, punching bag or speed bag really fast and you get that rhythm down, 
and it's like and you just start cycling through well that has a uh, reacclimation effect it's kind of like how nascar drivers think like 80 miles an hour on the freeway super slow because <laughs> they're just used to going at 200 <laughs> it's the same situation and it transfers like it just transfers and i was talking with this um about this with again my cowboy coach like i have this high school kid who uh freshman first year ever doing track 206 800 you know uh 55 open quarter and this is just first timer right kids naturally naturally good and i was like oh man this kid could be you know maybe like a 155 150 kid if he sticks with it you know for a couple of years but we also he, he, we share him with club soccer because a lot of my boys at my high school like that is the the sport is club soccer of the high school <laughs> so we always have to share athletes with club soccer uh it does not matter but he's a striker for club soccer right so and soccer in the high school soccer team in the fall so what does that mean? That means he's used to flying down the pitch at 100 miles an hour, stopping on a dime, quickly making a decision about what to do with the ball to create this, um, you know, to create a goal or a scoring opportunity. And it's just like ingrained in him. And he's a good striker too. And it's like, zoo, zoo, zoo. And so now he comes down and he's running a 400 or even 800. And like, even though he won't say it, it's, he's never said it fa feels fast. He's always like, it feels hard. He's never said, oh, this, all, all this stuff feels fast. Like some kids, right, will do sprint work or something, go, God, this feels fast. But for him, it's just like, it's an endurance component, right? And that's what dawned on me. It's like, ah, it's this recalibration of your environment through your quote unquote cross-training or interdisciplinary activities that are outside of that. And that's why, again, instant offense sometimes is doing things like we're talking about that is detached from the main thing, right? Because that instant offense allows you to recalibrate or get a new point of perspective that then allows you to come back to the main thing and then do it a lot better. Yeah, I like that. It's that almost new perspective and recalibration that impacts that. And actually there's some interesting work on, on uh, motor learning that kind of validates this stuff. There's the, there's the theory of, they call it, I think it's like ampli amplification of errors. Mm. So, and I remember Tom Telez used this once with me where I was like, I couldn't get my foot underneath, like closer to my center of gravity. I just kept drifting out, drifting out. And you were like, not can't putting you? the foot down, Stephen. I was not. And it's <laughs> like, can't you feel that? I'm like, I mean, I'm trying, <laughs> like, it's not for lack of trying here. So what does he do? He says, okay, like, I want you to do it wrong. Like, just reach out and slam your heel into the ground. And you're just like, all right, I can do that. And you're just like running. It feels awkward. You're reaching out, all that stuff. And then he's like, okay, now go back. Like, try and do it, do it right. And all of a sudden, what happens is you actually feel it. You're like, oh, oh, okay. Now I can feel my heel hitting or my reaching out or my landing underneath me, putting my foot down. Like I can feel it now. Why does that occur? Because you've kind of changed their perspective. You've disrupted, like you've gotten yourself out of that rut because what, what we do is we just get accustomed to whatever feels kind of normal for us. And you know, whatever that kind of normal is, our body kind of says like, well, 
let's turn down the signal and like our awareness of this because like it's normal. So you can't feel it when you change. And and just like the example you gave there is sometimes you've got to like do something to shift that perspective where it's like, oh, this is what it feels like to do things right. Or, oh, this is what it feels like to be rested, to recover, to be able to sprint. And it might feel hard, but it doesn't feel fast anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's also too, you know, for the track coaches out there, it's good rationale for why you'd have athletes do wildly, quote unquote, off events, right? Like I, I've had, you know, at the high school I work at, like I've had people like, hey, go do the long jump, this track meet, just go do it. You know, you've done you've done a couple run ups, but just go do it like just something different, just a recontextualization activity so that when you come back to your main activity, you have, again, as we talked about, a little bit more appreciation, a little bit the, the novelty and enthusiasm for the activity has returned versus, yeah, we can easily get in these ruts. I like how you said that, Steve, and sometimes it's more psychological nine times out of 10. It's more psychological than it's physical you know, provided we've um, kind of um, uh, exercised away the physical options of being like, oh, is it something with the blood or iron or blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it's that recontextualization is key because I've decided, you know, after reading all this stuff that we are not designed to be endurance athletes as we have defined it today in terms of just go continuous without any breaks for hours and hours on end. That I think is a bastardization of the reality is if you look at how we're designed mechanically anatomically and physiologically just our disposition naturally we're designed to be endurance spurt athletes we can do a spurt we recover quick we do a spurt recover quick we do a spurt recover quick because oftentimes right we're sold this idea like well we sweat and we have this really efficient like you know cooling system because we're running and you know for a long time on savannah but what about like the ability for us to pivot, change directions very quickly, and also recover really quickly with short bursts of relaxation or, you know, de-stress, that sounds a lot like, you know, zigzagging our way on the savannah to avoid lions from eating us. Because, <laughs> you know, that's one of the advantages of being bipedal, right? And the way our hips are structured and the musculature there is like, we can change directions quickly, which can be a lot tougher for us, like a big cat like that, right? So I think it's a little bit of both, right? It's really we we do well with spurts right like steve you know like you can't just sit there and write a book and write a chapter for like four hours in a row it's like you gotta go for 50 minutes take a little break go for 50 minutes take a little break classes right classes aren't these marathon classes because if we were naturally hardwired for to endure as that definition of endurance without interruption you know nothing would get done and i think we gotta remember that it's like we're we're good at stacking spurts like that's endurance versus just, you know, enduring thing without interruption. Absolutely. I think that's spot on there is that you have to understand <laughs> that it's true. We, we, you know, the, and I was reminded of this because I had like a, whatever, a three hour zoom call oh. that I see that just, to, do. to me. That's just like, Oh, it doesn't even sound good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's, it's just kind of like torture. And part of the reason why it's torture is because we're kind of designed and to work in these spurts of like high activity and then rest or recovery. It's why, as you said, writing is high activity, 
And then it's like, okay, I got to step away from this thing for a little bit and do something else or read something or just take my mind elsewhere. Um, and it's often the mistake you make when you're young is you're just like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and crank for yeah. four hours. <laughs> and it's just like, no, you sit there and crank for an hour and then your mind is fried and then you're just like useless for the next three hours. And you're just like, oh, well, that was kind of. Yeah. Tough. And we see this now uh-huh. even in healthcare. Like my wife, you know, she's a uh, bargaining negotiator for her union. And what we're seeing, right, is like uh, the business side wants to just basically have all these healthcare providers operate in, um, you know, this really high productivity, you know, uh, model that they've made up on an Excel file where it's like, you're always seeing people, you're always busy, you're always productive, blah, 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 blah. You need a productivity rate of this, right? So it's like, once you start on the clock and you know what? People are quitting. (laughs) People are leaving. And these are people who spent seven, eight years getting their, you know, doctorate. Like these are not just like, your, you know, hourly wage off the street type folk. Like this is like, these, these people thought long and hard about this career path. And it's because they're actually being treated in the same way that's really dehumanizing as it is like in the hourly workforce, you know, uh, at the, the, the entry level hourly workforce where it's just like, all that matters is productivity, end of story. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, and I think we've fallen for that that trick as coaches when we look at training and workouts as we think, oh, if we can just stack more hard, 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 we're going to improve. And what we're saying here, especially as you get towards the competition phase of the season, is it's almost always better to err on the other side. <laughs> it's almost always better to be like, okay. How do I go into this and, and you know, fresh? And, I, you know, at all of our our uh, our coaching meetings when we were at when I was at Houston, uh, Kyle Telez, the, the son of coach uh, Tom Telez. And Kyle's a great uh, coach as well of of multis and jumps and pole vault and all that stuff. And whenever we'd get because you'd always get to this point in the season where it's like, you're almost at the championship part, but you're not quite. And you have some athletes who are performing well, but some are just like, you're just kind of like, oh, I thought we'd get more out of this one. And it's almost like that that worry, right? Because like you start to worry and like, are we going to pull this together? Is everyone going to be able to align and like do what we need to do? And Kyle, every time, every year would just be like, and he's kind of a laid back surfer dude from yeah. California. He'd just be like, he'd just be like, rest him. <laughs> just rest him. Love it. All, that was always the answer. Rest. It's like, just rest, rest him. him. He'd be like, don't race him. Just rest <laughs> him. Like, we just need to rest. And 99% of the time, he'd be spot on. You'd be like, okay, like, we'll rest these guys. And then they'd come back at the championship or regionals or nationals, or whatever. And you'd be like, oh, there it is. Like, they showed up. We're good. And I, I think that you need to have someone in that, that, that the world that kind of pushes you to do that because the tendency as human beings, as you said, is always to push for more. It's to be like, oh gosh, like maybe they're not performing because I haven't done the tempo run in the last couple of weeks or, or they, you know, need one more kind of top off like high end anaerobic work. And 
you know, nine times out of 10, the answer is not more. It's, it's let them express their fitness, <laughs> get out of their way, yeah. you know, let them do the thing that they're going, they need to do. Yeah. We're so inundated, right? With this super compensation or one factor model of, you know, fatigue and fitness that, yeah, when you expand your horizons and understanding and look at that two factor model Steve talked about earlier, where you see that, you know, relationship between fatigue and fitness and how they're independent agents that influence each other and also can dampen the other as well. You understand like the last third of the season is about, as Steve put earlier, leaving that fatigue and so really that's my mindset now as a high school coach we have three months to a season and it's, it's very neat and nice and orderly and laid out so the first two months is about stress we're increasing fitness but also in a state of high fatigue and then the last month of the season is about express so we are decreasing that fatigue and just maintaining the fitness we built up the part is like it's really easy i found especially when i was a young coach to get insecure. And when we get insecure, we tend to think the best way to address that insecurity is the answer is going to be more. So do more where it's like, all right, we're going to do hard 400s the week before the district meet or hard, you know, this really hard mile at an all out effort the, the week before the conference meet. And we don't need to do it. You can do it, but you don't need to do it. Right. Because you're, you have to, ask yourself like what are you what's the purpose of the busy and are you in in and for me that paradigm of the first two-thirds is stress mode the last third of the season's express mode you're like okay well are we trying to will this activity stress them or will allow them to express and so the expression is the most important part especially at the high school level as people are adopting a sense of self-confidence uh self-concept and all this stuff so now we have a fun little game because we are we just entered the express season, part of the season where the person who gets the biggest PR cumulatively by seconds, it doesn't matter. You can run three events or one event, whatever. They get to pick a candy bar that the whole group shares in tomorrow. So like a young lady, she PR'd by, you know, almost 10 seconds in the 1500 the other day. She chose junior mints. So I call it share the success. So now everyone in the group gets junior mints the next day of practice. Why? Because her success is our success. And even though other people had success, like one of our my boys who's really externally driven and competitive, it's like, oh, okay. So, and I told him this in the middle of me and he's like, well, I PR by four seconds in the 15 and three seconds in the eight. Okay. So now I need a PR by, I got the four by four. So now I need a PR by like four seconds in the four by four. I go, all right, yeah, go try. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, everyone gets candy. So it's inclusive. Everyone's included, but it's like, it's just a fun thing where it's like, everyone gets to share the success. And when we all share that success, it creates this positive, you know, uh, cognition and contagion and it's very contagious. And so it's like, oh yeah, this, and now coach is telling us it's time to PR. It's time to, it's time to go for it. And that's, is hundred percent my motto. It's like, you guys are ready. You need to go out hard you know, you go out fast, you need to stay fast and you need to finish fast. That's, you know, Mike Smith has those four race plans. We have one S start fast, stay fast, finish fast. <laughs> like that's it. Because for them, we've done all the work. We've done all the neuromuscular training. We've done all the strength thing. We've done all this metabolic stuff. So now we're just maintaining and, you know, I'll get kids will be like, you know, Hey, 
Jonathan, can can we do some hard? When are we gonna do the next hard workout? I go. Well, that was in March and April. It's now May. There, I mean, there's no there's no hard workouts. Like it's it's just maintenance stuff now. We're just maintaining it. And the younger me would have been like, okay, well, yeah, we just we gotta get just that last little stimulus, that last little bump, that last little. But it becomes a cost benefit analysis where like you could do it, but how much fatigue or stress are you going to introduce to get that little extra fitness? And honestly, like, you know, as Kyle Teleza says, as you found out, Steve, as I found out, as so many coaches have found out, the gain is not worth the, uh, the, the fatigue tax. It definitely is. Just, it's just the, the equation, the math doesn't add up. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't. It doesn't at all, but like that's the tempting mm-hmm. because we like to do something. It's like the human. We need uh, that agency. Bias. Yes, like I did yeah, something, that, so that, I'll be better. <laughs> that bias, right? It's like I I took action. I gave them a workout. It should, and then alternate, you know, kind of what we do afterwards when it doesn't work out is we blame the athlete. Um, but anyways, I think we have to learn how to deal with that bias of action and resting or recovering or whatever have you is difficult because it forces us to kind of sit within action Mm -hmm. and just see what happens and see what unfolds. So, you know, one of the things knowing this is you can actually, you know, give yourself things to do that don't actually cause any harm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I, and, and, and I like, we laugh at this, but I think this is important to acknowledge the reality that we are kind of biased towards it. So what do you do? You give yourself kind of simple, like things that don't actually hurt Mm -hmm. things. So what is that? I call these, instead of just maintenance workouts, they're like the feel good workouts to make us feel like we're doing something when we're not actually doing something. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to the track and being like, we're going to run some two hundreds today with lots of recovery (laughs) at, you know, at feel good pace and just like feel good. And, you know, you get done with a couple 200s or, you know, several 200s and people kind of feel like they worked out, but not really. You didn't do anything or the we're going to do hundreds back and forth like Igloy style. Why? So that we feel like we're getting something faster, but we're not actually creating any sort of fatigue whatsoever. Right. Or one of my favorites is for the longer stuff is moving to what I'd call like an easy progression run. Where instead of going, hey, we're going to run our five mile tempo run at whatever, five, 10 pace. Instead, what you do is, hey, we're going to do our normal nine mile run. And I want you to keep it easy. And then the last like mile or two, I just want you to pick it up. And, and you know, my high school coach called it run to the barn. Right. Which is just like, you know, maybe that last mile is five minutes. But guess what? It's one mile out of nine, so it doesn't dig you this hole, but you think like, oh, look, I got some aerobic workout and I felt good. Like, it's it's kind of the filler to make us feel like we're doing something without actually doing anything harmful that causes us to set back or create lots of fatigue. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? We're constantly looking for the magic bullet, and we're especially when in moments of crisis where it's like, oh, I think we should be here. We should be doing this. We should be doing that. But like there, there is no magic bullet. And we have to remind ourselves like when it comes to the reason we show up to races or the reason I think we should show up to races is 
because it's a social activity. It's a social engagement. It's to race other people in the similar environment with the same external barriers, whether it's heat, humidity, wind, rain, what have you, course, temperature, blah, 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 because it's about contextually relating to other humans. And that's the unknown agent, right? That's that's the thing that we don't know is what other people will do. When we try to abdicate that sense of um, you know, exploration and discovery, because we are afraid of that uncertainty by saying, oh, run these paces, run these paces, run these paces, well, it creates a different uh, drive in the athlete, more internal drive. And you see that all the time with like distance runners and some young kids I have who are, are very internally focused. And I was like, whoa, 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 what were you thinking about? Why didn't you go with that person? And it was like, well, I was thinking about this internal you know, impact and consequence versus actually just being in the moment with the human being. And so that's always tough for some people to make that transition because we really need to understand that external um, challenge that other people face us typically allows everyone to leapfrog to a better version of, or the best version at that moment of their self. Like I never talked about PRs or times with any of my athletes, but yet they will run PRs and times because they're competing. And, you know, when that young lady that I mentioned earlier ran almost at 10 second PR in the 15 uh, the other day, she's like, why didn't you tell me that was that like she, you know, had to go look at the results and go, because, you know, I mean, because that, that's a great, great bonus. But the more thing I was like centering on was how good her kick was, how well she competed. She stayed up with people. She went out fast. She challenged herself, like all these other takeaways to demonstrate to her, like by doing that process, that's what led to that PR and like, hey, you can take more of a leap now because you have a lot more fitness to express because we're just in the, you know, start of the expression mode. I love it. I think framing that as like, you know, expression allows you to shift the gears a little bit because you also have to deal with athletes who not only coaches have this tendency to action, but athletes have this tendency towards like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna detrain, right? <laughs> I'm gonna lose all this fitness in the week because I didn't, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And we can kind of make fun of it, but the truth is that, like, that's a real concern. So you have to address it, right? You have to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I help an athlete go from, um, you know, or deal with that insecurity. And one of the ways you do that is, again, you build up their confidence. You go tell them this is part of the process. Trust me, everything's going to be okay. You do these kind of like fake workouts to feel good. You label things and say, hey, we're in the expressing our fitness time. We've already built it up. You're not going to lose it all. And, and that helps that athlete comes to term and deal with that kind of inner voice that is telling them to freak out that, you know, all our fitness is gone. Yeah. And that's, and that's the hard, you know, reality about fitness, right? Is we know if we look at it from, you know, a cellular myochondria level, right? It is easy come, easy go. So it's not right. about like, oh, I got to constantly put in these big hits to make more or keep it. Actually, we know from retention literature of maintaining kind of fitness capacity, it is about two thirds of your normal work volume at your normal intensity that is tends to be the sweet spot to maintain that fitness, but also 
you know, to allow you to alleviate any unnecessary fatigue. And, it, it, you know, it cross disciplines time and time again, that rule of, you know, quote unquote, rule of two thirds or 66% of volume tends to be where it is for most people. Now, again, it's a tolerance for some people it might be 50%, for some people it might be 70%, what have you. But that's the key, right? Is understanding when you're in a two-factor fitness model um, with fitness and fatigue, the difference between that and being a super compensation model, a super compensation model is going to back off everything, right? It's going to back off volume and intensity. It's going to, you know, tone that all down because you want to get out of that kind of depression stage. But in a two-factor fitness model, you're only going to back off the thing that causes the most fatigue, which is volume of activity, but not a whole lot, not crazy back off just a little bit, but you're going to keep that intensity that you've built up that you now have accommodation to, you're now used to you. It's no longer a threat because it's no longer novel. You're going to maintain that. And that's what we do with like, say, you know, like why my high school athletes do wickets every single day, because it's a strength training exercise. That's really contextual and specific, but also it's followed by a 40 meter, you know, run out at about you know, 800 meter effort, right? So you're doing eight times that every single day for 60 days, like after about, you know, 30 days or so, you get pretty used to it. And I don't change it. Like I don't, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. And what that does is that creates this, you know, um, innervation, so to speak, and it sits at what we call motor memory, right? In the nervous system. And as long as you just keep polishing it, and just sanding it and smoothing it out and just visiting it every day, rain or shine, it becomes not stress. What what happens is if you don't visit enough frequently, it becomes a stress, right? So you only do it twice a week or once a week. And then you all of a sudden start to do it four or five times for the end of the track season because you're like, oh, their technique's not as good. And I heard this was a good way to get it better. So we're going to do a lot more of this. Well, now that introduction creates that uh, fatigue and stress. So now you have to wait on that expression time horizon. So it's really, it's like, I always equate good coaching to being either a gardener or a chef, because you got to know when and where the ingredients um, need and can be put into the, um, uh, you know, the cake, so to speak. But you also have to know when and where you can add ingredients after. Like you wouldn't add extra egg to the cake after it came out of the oven, right? It wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> but you could add a little bit of sugar or maybe sprinkle a little sea salt just on top or layer on like some, you know, chocolate frosting. You could do that then, right? And so it's understanding what things are in this, you know, analogy, eggs and metaphor eggs and what things are like salt and sugar. <laughs> I, I like it. I like the analogy. I mean, that's what it comes down to is like really understanding what's important and uh, what's needed at that time and not try to overdo things on the back end and be like, oh, I should have had more sugar in here. Like I'm going to dump this on a fully baked. Cake. Yeah. Not going to work yeah. out. But that's what we try and do in training. We say, oh, I need some more sugar, like time to dump it on. And you're like, yo, the time to add sugar was two months ago. <laughs> right. Like yeah. Now we've just got a cake dumped with sugar on top. This isn't going to work out. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's that's a, that's a, a wonderful analogy for thinking about this for coaches as we look at, well, what can you do that day to help tomorrow is often it's, it's the things that, you know, were 
that we think will help often get in the way. And what you need to do in these moments where you're like, okay, I need them to perform. How do I help them? Blah, blah, blah. It's racing season, competition. Everyone's freaking out. It's like step back and think, okay, what actually helps? What actually moves the needle? And often it's the simple things and getting out of your own way. Yeah, that's the thing about coaching, right, Steve, is like we wear many hats, but we always focus on the trainer, quote unquote, or the physical preparation hat the most. But really it's, you know, sometimes, especially towards the end or close towards the pinnacle event or series of events or races, it's the counselor hat that we need to put on and wear the most often, right? Because like the physical preparation or trainer hat, that's the first part of the season. That's this and that, you know, like going back another example of kind of that's Roger Bannister-esque. I had a professional athlete several years ago when uh, I was working at that level. And she was stagnating and I was like, hey, you need to go do something fun, um, you know, and she was like, OK, I'm going to go to the rodeo because there was a rodeo because that's what was her thing. And, you know, I might drink a little too much. Go, that's fine. I'll see you in three days. Like, just come to practice in three days. Go have fun. No questions asked. Whatever. Right. And it was the right medicine, you know, because she came back focused, ready, excited and then had a wonderful rest of the season after kind of this period of like being like kind of grumpy and stagnant. Now the physical preparation trainer, you know, hat would have been like, oh my God, alcohol, late nights, uh, all the stimulus of the rodeo, bad news bears, right? But in the context, as a counselor, it was the medicine that was needed. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that gets at the kind of nuance of it, where it's like, sometimes even stuff we'd quote unquote label bad can help if it's in the right yes, context. Yes, the dose makes the poison always. <laughs> Always does. All right. Well, there you go. Those are some tactics as we all go through the ending of our seasons and competition phase. How do we navigate them? Well, often it's not that bias towards action that that we need. So give that a think. If you feel that bias, just pause, step back and ask yourself, you know, the difficult questions on does this really help or am I just doing this to do something? And far too often. We do things just to do something. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right, everybody. Well, good coaching. Until next time, everyone, take care.